0: Hello, my name is Pastor Brian Taylor of Forest Avenue Baptist Church, and you're listening to our Global Missions Conference in which we had November the 10th through November the 13th of 2019. If you wish to contact us, you can find us. Our mailing address is 106 West Forest Avenue, Sherman, Texas 75090, or call us at 903-892-3506. Also, you can visit us on our website at www.fabcsherman.com and find us on Spotify when you search Forest Avenue Baptist Church. Thank you for listening. Have a good day. Good evening, everybody. It's good to be and have you all here. Thank you for braving the cold weather, but you should thank the Africans for braving the cold weather. We're not used to this. So There's a, a miracle that the Africans are here and not you people, but we are in one piece. The song we just saying is an idea of how we worship in our church back home. We worship in many different languages, and it goes from one end to the other. And you wonder why French, why Portuguese? Portuguese and French colonized parts of Africa, so a lot of Africans speak those languages. So it is part of the cultural and the things that we sing. And we try just bringing of the different languages for the different songs as we can. Most of you know me, and I shared most of the work of the mission last week. But just for those of you who don't, we're in South Africa. It's the southern part of Africa, and we work in the southern African countries. The Lord's blessed us there to the mission to grow. Our main approach is evangelism discipleship and training. You see, we under the conviction God never saved you to keep a chair warm on a Sunday. He saved you to be active in His kingdom. That's what we believe. If you got your Bibles, you can turn so long to the Gospel of Luke and Luke chapter 16. And we're going to read in there from in a little while. But I just gave it to you up front so that you can find it <clears throat> while I share some thoughts with you in preparation of the Word of God. You know, we speak of first world countries and third world countries. You know what I'm talking about, right? When we come to uh, America, we're so aware that we're in a first world country because things work. Uh, There's service delivery. There are, are many other things that, you can say, we're a first world country. The third world countries, you find them in Africa, in Asia, and Latin America, which make up two-thirds of the world's population. It is better, therefore, to not call these countries third world countries, but in missionary terms, you should call them the two-thirds world. Do you get that? The two-thirds world will the longest service i've ever been in in africa and i've been in long ones africans want to get their money's worth so the service is not an hour long our service is an hour and a half to an hour and 45 minutes and that's just acceptable but i've been in an eight hour service joshua here we go keep the time okay Eight hours. Now that's rough. I want to tell you, no human can endure eight hours. But we went to eight hour service. And I did a conference up in Lusaka, uh, which is the capital of the country of Zambia. And there were five churches that came together for this conference over the weekend. And we did it s- Friday, we did the whole of Saturday, and Sunday was the final rally. So all the people came, and the place was packed out. And on the city up behind me, because they like to sit up front, they, what they, <coughs> they don't call them pastors, they call them bishops. And all the bishops were sitting up there all fancy dressed, and the churches started to sing. So one church brought their choir, and they sang. The next one brought their choir and sang. The next one brought their choir and sang. All five churches. Then they started over again. Now it's the ladies' choir. Then it was the men's choir. And then it was the children's choir. Then it was the mixed choir. Then it was an impromptu choir. And so this went on and on and on. And eventually, I got up to preach. So I was pretty tired. I thought, I'm going to keep this short. But this is how long it's already taking. So I get up to preach, and this is my final address to them. And I wanted to challenge them about winning people for Jesus. So I said to them, and I thought, I will challenge them. I said, who of you have shared Jesus with somebody this week? Raise your hands. And they said, okay. Let's extend it a bit more. Who of you this past month have shared Jesus with somebody? And they said. So I got desperate. I looked behind me, and the bishop suddenly looked the opposite way too. So I said, okay. And this was about July of the year. I said, who of you this year have ever shared Jesus with somebody? And they said, desperation, I look at the bishops, they're looking around everywhere else. Eventually I said, who of you have ever shared Jesus with somebody? Nobody could raise their hand. They had all the choirs and they sang majestically, but they missed the main thing. The main thing is to share Jesus Christ. I want to ask you as a church, are you missing the main thing? It's to share Jesus Christ. I want you to understand something. It is not your pastor's responsibility to win Sherman for Christ. Did you know that? It's your responsibility. His job is to help you to do it, but it is the church's responsibility. Look at the book of Acts. We read there, it says this. Now Stephen, just. we're not reading from... Uh, Luke, in a minute, I'm reading from Acts quickly for you. Stephen had just been stoned, and this is what the Scripture says. And Saul was consenting unto the death of Stephen. And at that time, there was a great persecution amongst, against the church, which was in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad and throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So who was scattered? The church, right? The apostles were not scattered. They stayed in Jerusalem. It says, Then devout men carried the body of Stephen and buried him, and Saul made havoc in the church. Then verse 4, Therefore they were scattered abroad, went everywhere preaching the word of God. The word of God spread rapidly when the congregation said, We will preach Jesus where we go. And that has always been God's design. With that as the background, I want us to start turning to the scripture that I have for us today. William Booth of the Salvation Army, he said, after training his cadets to go out, he said, I wish I could open up hell and hang them over hell for 24 hours, and then release them to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hell, that unspoken topic in the church of God. I remember growing up as a child, hell was something that was feared in the church of God. I remember the older people who didn't even really want to mention the name because it was such a dreadful place. Today, it's just a place of joking. It is a topic that is forgotten in the church of God today. And I want to, today, open up hell a little bit for you. To have a glimpse into what awaits those who are not born again. I cannot preach this message and not give a gospel invitation at the end. And I want to tell you, I'm gonna, you're going to have a chance to receive Christ. But don't think this is a gospel message. I'm preaching this f- to Christians very deliberately today. So let us read from Luke chapter 16 and reading from verse 19. So Luke chapter 16, reading from verse 19. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fed sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried, and being in torments in Hades, He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. Besides all this, between us and you, there is a go- great gulf fixed. So that those who'd want to pass from here to you cannot. Nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you'd send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said, they have have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Just so far, may God bless his word to us. This is an amazing parable the Lord teaches us. It is a parable that has so much truth within it. And I want to try pull out some of the truths from this for us to grasp the message that the Lord has birthed on our heart for us tonight. This, this uh, parable is also written to show us some big contrasts because in these contrasts, we start understanding and getting some glimpse of some things. I want to start off by saying, hell's not on earth. You know, some people say, I'm going through hell. No, they're not. Why, they still got hope, they still got life, they still got people of God around them. This is not hell. Hell is not of this world. Hell is something far more scary and terrible than what we could ever imagine. Some people think that this is not actually a parable. And I've read many commentators, uh, commentaries that said, this is not a parable because it's written different to any of the other parables Jesus had told. Because in no other parables does Jesus use a real person's name. But here he does. He says, Lazarus, the poor man. And I often wondered about that. And I was convinced in my heart, this is a parable, but I listened to what they said and I saw the difference. But then the Lord revealed to me why he used the name. I believe he revealed it to me. It's because God was telling us, my child, I know your name. I know you. I know my children. Isn't that beautiful? Even in this he's saying, my child, I know you. I know where you are. I know who you are. I know what you're going through. And to me, I take joy in this. But in this, we see in a contrast between a rich man and a poor man. And it's easy to differentiate between the two normally, isn't it? Between a rich man and a poor man. We can see the difference by the way they dress, by the food they can eat, where they shop, the home that they stay in, the car that they drive in, the places they go, the circles they move in. We can see there's a difference between rich and poor, right? There's certain rich people. I can't move in their circles or even go to their shops. I was once at a shopping mall in another country, and there was actually a man standing outside, and if you were not dressed right, you were not allowed in the shop. I was not allowed to move there because he could see I was not rich enough to get in the shop to buy anything therein. in. But you see, this contrast, should be the contrast between a Christian and a non-believer. It should be such a thing that it's visible that the Christian is living, working, and doing things differently to this world. You see, after all, the Christian has a new nature and should be doing different to the people of this world. Today, the Christian wants to see how much of the world they can bring in not how different they can be from the world. But you'll also note that the Lord gives a description, and I want to go through the description of the rich man, or rather the charge that the Lord lays against this rich man. And I want to go through it deliberately very quickly with us. First of all, it called him a rich man. He said this was a rich man that went to hell. He never said, that he got his money illegally. It never said that he didn't pay his taxes. It never said that he didn't treat the people who worked for him wrongly, nor that he even accuse him of not feeding Lazarus. Secondly, the Lord tells him he was dressed well. Again, not saying that he had overspent above his means, but just describing him as a man that could dress very well. It says that he fared sumptuously. In other words, he was successful and lived a good life. He was by all means a good man, a virtuous man, an upright man. Better, I'm sure, than many others of his time. But that was not enough. Good morals, upright people need Jesus. Don't be fooled by an outward appearance. You see, it's not the drug addicts that just need the Lord. It's not just the down and out need the Lord. It is those good, upright people also need the Lord. Sometimes we think it is for the the homeless and for this. No, the gospel is for every man. I met an Islamic man, and I spent some time in his house having coffee and chatting with him. I want to tell you that Islamic man was probably one of the most moral men I've ever met in my life. He was upright, moral man, but condemned to hell. You see, it's not enough just the morality. We must let's not think that it's only bad people. There are good people needing to hear about Jesus Christ. You see, the problem was this, with this man is that he sought joy and fulfillment on earth. He never bore a cross. He never mortified the flesh. He never received the free gift of eternal salvation from Jesus Christ. He never belonged to the people of God. So now in death, he could not dwell with the people of God or with God himself. He was cast away from the presence of a loving, giving, caring God. But this passage not only tells us a a distinction between the two groups, but it tells us something else. It gives us a small description of hell. And I want your minds to think a bit and open your minds up to think a little bit and imagine a little bit of what it must be like in hell. We see it is revealed as a place of no escape. It is a fixed place state. There's no purgatory. Jesus died for our sins and paid the price. There's no paying now for sin. He's paid the price. It's a fixed state and death seals the fate of all people. Faith as death does not change us into better people. Death seals the state in which we died in. There's no leaving There's no changing after death. There's no coming out after death. It's a fixed state, eternal damnation. There's no relief in this place from the torture, from the suffering. There is none of it. He asked for just a drop of water on his tongue, and it was denied him. It is a place of continual suffering. It's a place of continual anguish and pain and sorrow without end and without letting up. It's continual. We see from the scripture that we read that the word torment appears four times to put emphasis on the, the fact that this place is a place of torment and suffering and of pain. You and I are created lower than angels. Satan is a fallen angel. Hell was created to punish him and his demons. It was a place to torture and punish a being being that is created higher than we were created. So imagine the immense pain and suffering that's going to come upon mankind who lands in this place that was designed for a creature greater than itself to be tormented and tortured. I want you to understand something clearly. God sends no man to hell. He has given them a chance to choose and He gives them in death the choice they made on earth. They've chosen a life without Him. He'll give them an eternity without Him. They didn't want Him. They didn't want His angels. They didn't want His people. So in that place all good and light will be removed from hell. You see, when we do not accept God's gift in Jesus Christ, we by default have chosen the side of Satan, and therefore we share in the fate of Satan and his demons. There's a cosmic war taking place between Satan and God, and I want you to understand mankind is the battlefield. The battlefield's not somewhere out there. The battlefield is in, on mankind. And it's between your two ears where the war between God and Satan is warring right now. To 2 Thessalonians 1 verses 7 to 9. It's one of the scary descriptions they're given of hell. It says they're cast away from the presence of the Lord. In other words, cast away from all kinds of joy, from peace, from love, from goodness, from mercy. Cast away from it, no longer having access from it. It's a frightening thing to be cut off from God. Never to have God come and tug on your heart again. Never have God come and call you by name. Never having God coming and giving you grace, even though you didn't deserve it. He sends the rain to the just and the unjust, But in hell, the rain stops on the unjust. It's a frightening place to be cut off from God. You see, you cut off then from the restraining grace of God. You see, God has a restraining grace that restrains evil and restrains evil men from doing the most wicked things ever. But in hell, that that restraining grace is removed. There's no holding back. There are laws on your, in your country that keep evil man at bay. The laws are removed, and man's desires and sinful hearts will explode with passion and desire like a volcano. The perversity, the violence, the ugliness, and everything will come out. But their desires will never be filled. They'll be like a drug addict without their next fix but frantically looking for it and having that craving, but unable to satisfy it. The scripture tells us in hell it is a place of full memory. Oh man, think about it. Aren't sometimes your memories of regrets that you didn't do something or you did something torment you? Isn't it sometimes our memories that pound us? Now imagine in hell you remember every lost opportunity. Every time you laughed at Christianity and pushed it away. You have a memory of your loved ones who also don't know the Lord and who you loved and are heading this way. you remember the Sundays you'd rather watch football than have anything to do with God. you remember the, the times when you had the opportunity to put things right and it was wrong and you missed it. The regrets of a misspent life will consume your mind. It's a place, because you're cut off from God, of no hope. People commit suicide. Because they've lost hope. Yeah, in hell there is absolutely no hope. No hope of relief. No hope of escape. The Bible says they try to seek death, but death will run away from them. It is hopeless even to try to commit the suicide. They cannot die. But the hopelessness that drives people to suicide. But yeah, this hopelessness will be a million times worse but unable to escape it by any means. What must one do to end up in a place like that? Absolutely nothing. To land up in hell, you don't have to do anything. Just continue the way you are. But not to end up there. We know you're going to call upon the name of Jesus. You've got to repent of your sins. You've got to own up to your sins. Take responsibility for them. Ask the Lord for forgiveness. Confess that He died for you, rose again, and ascended on high, and He's the only way to God. Otherwise, it's a lost eternity. The book of Proverbs tells us this hell and destruction are never full. Isaiah writes and he says, Hell hath enlarged herself and open her mouth without measure last week Wednesday I gave you some statistics and I want to touch on them very quickly again in the world there are 3.1 billion people who have never heard the name of Jesus that are heading for this destination are heading here at a rapid rate as I shared with you then there are at least 65,000 people that dying today are waking up in eternal damnation Because they never heard the name of Jesus. South Africa, a country the size of Texas, but a population of 56 million. We have eight unreached people groups. The United States is much bigger. Do you know how many unreached people groups you have in America? 81 people groups in America, that have never been reached with the gospel. Isn't that a scary fact? It's not beyond borders, it's within your borders. There are unreached people groups. I want to turn to the Christian very quickly and say from the scripture we see that one of the biggest prayer meetings taking place right now is taking place in hell. People crying to God to deliver them. But this greatest prayer meeting taking place there is a prayer meeting that will never be answered. It's too late for them to pray. But your brother and your sister, it's not too late for you to pray. You can do what they can't do. You can pray to a God that will hear you. You can pray to a God that will answer you. You can pray to such a God. I want to ask you, you've stayed awake at night before praying about your problems, right? Have you ever stayed awake all night to pray for the lost? Have you ever stayed awake and said, let's have a prayer meeting and we're going to pray through the night for the lost in Sherman, that they can come to Jesus Christ and know Him as their Lord and Savior? Listen, souls are one in prayer, not in evangelism. You see, too many churches and too many evangelists are wanting to get out of prayer that which they have not put in. They've not put in the prayer, but they want the results that prayer yields. But you see, until we humble ourselves as Christians, while we still can and are alive and breathing, we can enter into the greatest ministry that ever one can be called to, the ministry of prayer, and lay hold of a God that loves lay hold of a God that cares and lay hold of a God that will save you heard on Sunday night pray the Lord of the harvest pray the Lord of the harvest man for laborers to be thrust out I shared last week Wednesday what happened when we prayed that prayer 80,000 people are worshiping God under trees in Africa Because we prayed that prayer. What would God do here if you people lay hold of God while it is still today? And pray and pray until God moves on Sherman. So my challenge to you as Christians, in hell there's a prayer meeting going on that will never be heard. But there can be a prayer meeting going on here. God will bless with his presence and bless with answers. You don't know how to pray for the lost? I'll teach you how to pray for the lost. I'll give you guidelines how to start laying hold of God for lost people. You know, I study everything on evangelism. And the evangelistic book says, Pray is the most important thing and they never speak it of again. Man, if it's the most important thing, speak about it. I'll share with you how God has taught us to pray for the lost. I want to tell you, if you truly born again and sitting here today, you yeah not just because of Jesus Christ, you yeah because somebody prayed for you. You yeah because somebody prayed for you. We must pray. Second thing I want to show you from the scripture, and then I'll be done. Did you hear the cry from hell? Who will go warn my brother? Who will go warn them of this place to come? Did you hear that cry? Who will go and warn my brother that there's a lost eternity? Dear brother and sister, I don't know what your view is of prophecy, but this I know Jesus is coming soon. And his coming is at hand. Can a fireman sit at ease in his fire truck when a house burns down? Can a doctor or nurse sit at an accident scene and see a person blind out and bleed out and do nothing? How can we sit in church and sing praises, oh Lord, we love you, we surrender all, when we sit with the only remedy for mankind? I want to tell you your remedy for your country is no not the Democrats or the Republicans, it's Jesus Christ. Nothing else. We sit in this building with the answer for mankind. But have you heard the call? Can we just sit at ease? Do nothing. It's a true story of a criminal in London. He was guilty, and he was to be taken to be hung from the neck until dead. The Catholic priest opened up a book and started reading off the prayers and description of how terrible hell was. Eventually this criminal touched the, uh, the, the priest and said, Sorry, stop a minute. If I really believed what you said, I would crawl across the whole of England on my knees, even if it was covered with glass, to warn every man about it. Such a place. but You read it without even a tear in your eye. And I'm about to go to that place. Will you go tell? Last night was the challenge for your neighborhood. What is your friend and your neighbor going to say? You were my neighbor, but you never told me. What is your friend going to say at work that you went with and had coffee and lunch with, but you never told him where he's going? And how to avoid damnation to come? How can we sit at ease when we have the answer? I'm going to close in prayer. Now I'm going to ask God to stir our hearts, but I want to do things different. I didn't even ask Brian. I didn't plan this. I'm so sorry, Brian. But if God has spoken to you, first of all, maybe tonight you realize you're not saved and maybe Pastor Brian, can be forward and to receive you. But maybe tonight I want to do a different appeal. I want to challenge you to come pray for Sherman, to come forward and kneel at the altar. I'll kneel at the altar and come and join me. Let's pray that God will move in Sherman and save people in Sherman tonight. For him to come and do something. If God has spoken to you tonight, I want to challenge you. I'm not going to even close in prayer. I'm going to come and kneel up front and if you want to join me in prayer, come join me in prayer. Then Brian, you can close up front.